Good morning. Morning. Okay, Rigel. Um, well, it's good to uh, it's good to come together and uh, uh, fun for us to be able to see some familiar faces and some new faces and. Uh, Really excited for you guys and what God is doing here in the, the upcoming move. And, um, you know, this has uh, been quite a year, hasn't it? Like 2020? It's, 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 it's been a year that none of us obviously expected. I remember looking at my calendar like, oh, man, it's going to be crazy busy spring, you know, going here, going there. Well, that, that didn't happen, right? And, and, uh, and there was a whole lot of other things happening. And... You know, it's a, in a time like this, MacArthur just recently has said that in times like this, the church is refined. And I really see that happening. Now, one of the things, one of the reasons is because we have to stop and ask, like, what is important? You know, what, what, what are we doing with life? When you have to all of a sudden stop everything that you were doing, it makes you think, okay, well, what are we doing? And, and should I, there's, there's some things maybe in our life that just should never restart again, Right? And, and uh, in the midst of the busyness and the craziness um, of life, it was a, an opportunity to just stop and say, okay, why do we do what we do? What are our priorities? And one of the things that we um, have to stop and think about is why do we do this? Like, why do we meet in a building together with other people? Like, why do we meet like this? And this morning I've entitled the sermon, The Indispensability of Gathering. And that word, indispensability, it means this. It's absolutely necessary. It's essential. Um, it's, you're incapable of being, it's incapable of being disregarded nor neglected. Right? So, essential. Do we hear a little bit about that word um, in, in the lockdown stage, right? What's essential? Well, they had to scramble, right? Okay, what's essential, what's not essential? Some of the things we were like, yeah, I agree with that. Groceries are great. Like, that would be good to continue to be able to eat and, and uh, you know, and get our medications. Like, we were all on board with those kinds of things. And then there were some other things you were kind of like, I don't know if people need their marijuana that bad. Um, you know, so there were some other things that we weren't quite sure about. But, but in the midst of it all, we were seen as not essential. This gathering that we're doing right now was seen as non-essential. And, and at the time, we were like, okay, what's, what's it going to mean to stay safe? And um, we had just went through First Peter in our church, actually just, just were finishing it up as the, everything began to, to happen. And we're reminded of this verse in First Peter 2, 13 and 14, which says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. And then just a few verses later, it says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so that's what we did. We stayed home because they told us to stay home. The government, that's what they had recommended that we do. And, and praise God, that stay home changed to be safe, right? Stay safe. And, and we're able to now gather, and we're really thankful for the fact that we can gather and there's been a, there's a, there was, you know, like a habit takes how long? How do they say? Take, a habit takes like, okay, I've heard a few different answers there, but yeah, around a month, right, maybe, and we were locked down for like at least 14 weeks, I don't know, maybe longer, depending on, our church was 14 weeks that we, and habits can begin to form, and, and, you know, there was some nice little traditions that began, uh, Gabby, uh, our, our youngest daughter began to make scones on Sunday morning uh, while we uh, watched church in her jammies, right? And um, I had a problem with the preacher after a while. I was like, I can't listen to this guy anymore. And um, you know, it's the weirdest thing watching yourself uh, preach anyways. But, um, but we got through that time. And, and, but, but we can default to church in our jammies because it's, it's kind of easy, right? Like, Beautiful morning, we'll go outside, and then, oh, it's, it's time, let's go flip on the service. We did church, kind of, if we're being honest, kind of, right? A lot of like, uh-huh, and off to get the coffee, you know what I mean? And then you, you came back, you're like, I think I got most of that, right? Like, it wasn't quite the same, and like myself preaching to the camera, like, that's really great. Like, 
I was like, if that's my full-time job description, I'm looking for new work. Like, it was, it was the worst, right? But, but if we're not careful, that's what we can fall into. That pattern of just kind of, it's easier to not gather. So let's just not gather. In fact, it's crazy. Right now in Calgary, there's many churches still not meeting. Even though they have permission, many churches still not meeting. And why? Because the majority of the people are like, let's just keep, keep waiting. Maybe later. And so we've had people start coming to our church like, yeah, their church is like thinking maybe October, November, maybe they'll start meeting at that time, which I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm no uh, disease specialist, but I think that time might be a lot worse than right now. But anyway, um, so, so what we need to be on guard on is, is, not, is not falling into that rut, and, and uh, we have to reexamine why do we do this? So there's three things I want us to look at this morning. Three reasons that we, uh, reasons for us to gather together like this. First, the basis of gathering. What is the basis of a gathering like this? Let's start by recognizing that you and I have been created physical creatures, right? We have five senses that we use. And, and, um, and each of those things help us to appreciate the beauty of this world and the beauty of relationships. Um, we, as God's people, do best when we're with each other. We thrive when we are actually in the presence of one another because of the way that God has created us. In a digital world, it can be tempting to just kind of just text or just email or just, you know, whatever, Zoom. That word has taken on a whole new meaning, right? Zoom. It used to be like Bugs Bunny or whatever, right? That's not, Zoom is a new thing now, right? But, but, but God has made us in such a way that we thrive when we are together. There was a guy, uh, a professional U.S. poker player. His name was Rich Aletti, and he bet $100,000 that he could survive 30 days alone and in total darkness. So $100,000, okay, like that's a pretty good chunk of money, right? A lot of us be like, okay, $100,000. 30 days in a room by myself in the dark, and then they you know, provided food, obviously, and water and whatever he needed for that, but the rest of the time, he's, he's in there by himself. He didn't make it. After 20 days, he negotiated his release. He was experiencing hallucinations and was having issues sleeping properly. Maybe, maybe that's what, I, I've been having that issue recently. I'm not sure why exactly that's happening. But anyways, um, others who have been in situations in isolation would have talked about loneliness being very difficult. To deal with it, people have, have talked about making up imaginary friends to try and cope. Do you remember that, that movie with Tom Hanks where he had his volleyball became his friend or whatever? Like, that's a real thing. Like, when you don't have anyone, you make up friends because of the way that God has designed us. And so God has made us to be social creatures. God affirmed this in Genesis 2.18 when he said, that it is not good that man is alone. And then he proceeded to create Eve. As I already said, the digital world can be tempting to, to kind of just live our lives through that, through Facebook or through Twitter or through emails and texts. But it's not the same. It's just not the same. And it's changed a lot over the last 20 years, hasn't it? How digital our world has got. But there's some costs involved. Theologian Carl Truman writes this, the language of friendship is hijacked and cheapened by the internet social networks. The language of Facebook both reflects and encourages childishness. Childishness, he writes, has become something of a textually transmitted disease. Why does he say childishness? Because what is most characteristic of a child is complete self-centeredness. When you think about social media and what we're doing on there, there's a, a focus on, look at me, right? Look at what I, look what I got going on. Truman, highlighting the self-centeredness, writes this, Such are human amoebas, subsisting in a bizarre non-world that involves no risk to themselves, no giving on themselves to others, no true vulnerability, no commitment, no sacrifice, no real meaning, 
and no value. And yet there are literally billions of people who are living on the internet now. And I think this idea of lower risk is something that's really attractive to us, right? I, I, don't, I may not get as much gain, but I have lower risk about who might reject me or who may not. I can just defriend them if they reject me. It's not as painful. But what we can achieve in our relationships is severely limited by a screen. I've really, I mean, one of the most difficult things during this time is like, how are the people doing? How are the, you know, as a shepherd, how are the sheep doing? I, I, I don't know. I don't see them. I, I, you know, we looked at each other through Zoom for five minutes during a prayer meeting or something, but that's all I've seen. Like, so what, how are they doing? We need to be together. Now, I mean, I don't know if you guys, if you guys had like some pretty serious relationships where you've been apart from each other and kind of like had to go through that time. So like Heather and I, when we met, I was living in Florida and she was living up here. I spoke at a church in Rocky Mountain House. We met, we kind of got to know each other over a few weeks while I was still here. And then we kept in contact um, via phone. There was no Zoom. That would have been amazing, right? We didn't see each other. It was just a phone and like a $300 bill every month, right? That was, but we, that's how we got together. And that's how we met. And then every now and then we get together again physically. We get to see each other. And, and, and guess what? Way better when we're in the same place, right? Way better. Doing something digitally is not as good ever. And so we strive to get together because of how much better it is. Well, why do we gather? Let's remember who we are. First, we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Remember, uh, Josh, the, he just read earlier, 1 Corinthians 12, 12-26. Anyone who is in Christ is now part of a body. Uh, Paul, even in that analogy, equates it to a physical body. Now, a body can lose a part in some cases and continue to survive, but it cannot thrive in the same way that it did. I think we all understand that, right? You lose a part, that's a problem. And if you are the part that's apart from the body, that's a bigger problem. Um, check these stats out. Organs of the body can last anywhere from a few hours up to a day and a half before being joined again to the rest of the body. But that's it. Fingers need to be reattached within 12 hours, and other appendages have about a six-hour max before they need to be regathered, or be reattached. The same is true to the spiritual body of Christ. We need each other, right? The body that's here on Sunday morning, we need the people who are not here, right? When somebody stops coming and they're not, no longer a part of us, we feel that. Bonhoeffer says this, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer, a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in daily fellowship of life with other Christians. Let him who has such a privilege thank God on his knees and declare it his grace. Nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in fellowship with Christians. I don't know about you, but it is just so much sweeter coming together now, now that that had been taken away. This is like, I don't take that for granted anymore. Like, it is a sweet thing to be able to come together, even with the crazy seating and having to wear masks and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's, it's okay. We can do it now, right? And, and, and so we embrace that. And we do so because we are the body of Christ. Secondly, we do so because we are children in a family. We are children in a family. 1 John 3, 1 and 2 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We get to call God our Father. Incredible. He's adopted us into his family, and he's provided all that we need. And he calls us to come to him, casting our cares and burdens upon him. 
And then one of the incredible blessings that we have is to be a part of this amazing family. All things that may have been divided, sorry, all things that may have divided us before have melted away through the love of Christ. You want the solution for racism? His name is Jesus. That that is the only true solution. When we embrace him, then it's like we now are one in him. And so what do we do as family when we're apart from one another? We find a way to get together, right? Not so easy right now, but we'll figure it out, right? If you have family, like right now, we, Heather's family, there's some in the United States. Someday, we're going to get to see one another again. As soon as they're like, okay, borders open, we'll find a way to see each other. Why? Because we're family. Because we love one another. We see this love for being together expressed in 2 John 12. 2 John 12, though I have much to write to you, I, listen, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Right? I could keep writing you. I could keep Zooming you or whatever, but I would rather us just get together face to face. Romans 1, 9 to 12. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's face by faith, by yours, both yours and mine. And so we come together because we are the body of Christ, we come together because we're family, and then lastly, we come, or sorry, thirdly, we come together because we're the, a church, or sorry, a church being a temple. Listen to this. Uh, for Ephesians 2, 22. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You, you can't build a building without all the parts being there. That's the point, right? And God is building this uh, church uh, day by day, week by week. It's so exciting to watch. And then lastly, we are now all citizens of heaven. This is not our home. Together we are now citizens of heaven, and we will be together for all of eternity. And so all of these things point to what? That God expects us to be functioning together, not siloed off by ourselves somewhere. We are to function together, and we see that now in a practical basis and the benefit of gathering. What is the benefit of gathering? Yeah. All on the same page. Amen. 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 Well, let's look at the scriptural basis for what you just said, because that's exactly right. Okay. So let's look at John chapter 17, 20 to 23. God expects us to be unified, just as was just said. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is Jesus speaking, that they may be, all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. As the people of God, we are united through our new identity in Jesus Christ. We are to be united in his truth. We are to be united in our new identity as children of God, as members of the body of Christ. As we gather together, we celebrate what Ephesians 4, 4 to 6 says. There is one body in one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are one in Him. And that's what we celebrate as we come together. When we're embracing this oneness, 
it becomes an evangelistic tool, as Jesus has just said. And when people come to our churches, they should see the love that we have for one another. They should see that we're not the same as the world. I'm so thankful. When we, when we started our church in Calgary, it was, I'll just put it like this, Whiteyville, okay? It was this, we were all kind of one color, right? But that didn't represent our city. There's a whole lot of nations represented in our city. And by God's grace, there have been more and more and more nations coming to our church. People who maybe normally would not like one another are loving one another as they come to our church because we're one in Him. And so uh, that's a, one of the beautiful things that people get to see when they come. But they also ought to see our commitment to one another. Why don't you turn in your Bibles? We're going to do a little work yourself now. We're going to go off the screen. We're going to do some work ourselves. Turn to Acts 2. Acts 2, 42 to 47, and here you see the commitment that these people, these believers, had for one another. Acts 2, 42 to 47, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is talking about the early church. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see their commitment that they had for one another? Do you see what they were devoted to? What were they devoted to? What was the cause that they were devoted to? Well, it was the word, right? It was the word. We see that to the apostles' teaching. When we come together, and I'll just encourage you, any church you go to, if this is not part of the church time, find a new church, right? If the pastor just like mentions a verse off and then kind of tells story time for the rest of the time, find a new church. Why? Because this is what we live for. It reveals to us who he is. It, it shows us the amazing gospel. It, 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 it feeds our souls. It makes us more and more like him. There's nothing more amazing. Uh, these topical sermons, not my favorite, Okay. Pastor John was like, why don't you do that sermon? I'm like, okay, I'll do that sermon. But my favorite is more like, okay, verse 1, see, right here. Verse 2, see, right here, right? And, and, and that's why, because it's God's authority. When it's more topical, it's kind of like there's more room for me to get in the way. And I don't want that. I want God's word to be seen. But as you look at the verses here, you see that there was this centrality to the word, to what God was teaching, and as as time went on, what? That apostles' teaching became our New Testament. And we have that today, and we're still devoted to that together. But you see this picture where they're taking care of one another and having this time where the word goes out to, in, the, in our presence. Now, Gunderson, Gunderson sorry, says this, and I think it's really important for us to hear. In this digital environment, we must remember that preaching is fundamentally a live sacred moment. Yes, it can be streamed and recorded and posted, benefiting both virtual attendees and future hearers, but for a local family of believers, God's word is best communicated live as the Spirit empowers an appointed preacher and trusted shepherd to articulate God's word personally in a moment pregnant with purpose and possibility. In these moments, pastors shepherd their own sheep and sheep hear the voice of their shepherds. In these moments, we're struck not only by the content of the message, but also of the gravity of the moment. When we hear God's word taught in a congregation, we resonate not only with our risen Lord and his royal word, but with each other. A feast enjoyed together is better than food eaten alone. And there's just something supernatural that God does in a room like this versus watching it over digitally. It just, it's just the way it is. And, and I'm thankful for all the teaching that we can get online. There's, I mean, there's no end to the good teaching that you can find online. But 
if we forsake this, it's not the same. It's just not the same. There were some guys, uh, I was in touch with a lot of pastors during the, the, the lockdown time, just trying to figure, okay, well, how are we doing this, and what do we do? And, and, and I, there was guys telling me, they would literally break down after preaching through the camera. They would just, just start weeping, because it wasn't the same. It just wasn't the same. And, 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 and it, it is, this is going to be weird for me next week. Calgary's got a neat new bylaw now that everyone has to wear masks the entire service. So that's going to be like, for me, like, they getting this or not? Like, I'm going to, so we might have to come up with some signals, like, you know, ha, 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 you know, like, you got to tip your hat, you know, or whatever. I don't know. I digress. Anyways, um, but, but it's just so good to look and see, okay, yeah, they're understanding. Oh, they're not understanding. Forget this and move on, like, right? Like, and then come back because they didn't understand that point. You must have not written that very well. But, um, but we want, to, we, want to, we want to highlight the Word of God as we do this. And we want to highlight that we share life together. We do life together. We have a shared ministry. We have a shared truth. The Bible uses the word koinonia to describe it. We translate it fellowship. Now, depending on how Baptist you were growing up, um, that meant fellowship meant uh, a little lunch and a chat after service. But that's not the true picture of fellowship. The true fellowship, picture of fellowship is that we do life together. We're connected together. All the analogies that I spoke about earlier. We care for one another's physical needs. We'll talk more after service. All right? That's a great question. Okay? Yeah? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about it afterwards, but I think there's, there's a, we're on different pages than the Catholicism, but I'll, I can explain more after, after service for that. So we're caring for one another's physical needs, we're spurring one another on, we're praying together, and we're praising the Lord together, and we're bearing one another's burdens. And so that is what we're called to do. And each and every one of you who are in Jesus Christ is a vital part to the body of Christ. Do you, do you know that this morning? Every part is vital. Why? Well, one, because it's what we do to encourage one another. Every part is vital to encourage one another. Turn over to Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. And it says this, Let us hold fast... The con- to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And then listen to this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Do you do that each week? Do you think about your brothers and sisters in Christ and consider how to stir them up to love and good works? Not neglecting to meet together as in the, is the habit of some. Even 2,000 years ago, there was a habit of some to say, eh, I'll see somebody later. But we need, to, we need to gather together and encourage, it says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We don't know how much time before Christ will return, but we're 2,000 years closer than when this was written. And so the time is coming. Well, Christ is coming, and we need to be aware of that, and we need to meet together more and more so as we see the day drawing near. And so being a part of the body of Christ means that we ought to be continually taking care of one another. That's on your to-do list every week. How do you care for one another? How can you help one another? How much time right now are you, as we consider our priorities, how much time in your week is spent thinking of how you can love on your brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage them? And so every part is vital for the encouragement. Every part is vital for the protection of one another. Flip this a few pages back to Hebrews 3, 12 to, 4, 12 to 14. Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. It says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. When we don't 
meet together, we get blinders on when it comes to our own sin. It's just the way it is. We are, I, I did one sermon a few weeks back on justice. If we were our own judges, who would be condemned? No one. We always have an excuse as to what the wrong that we did, why it was okay to do. That's why we need one another to, to shine some light on like, eh, brother, I love you, but that's not quite right, right? Because if we don't have that in our lives, it says in this, these verses that, that we could have an evil, unbelieving heart that would lead us away from the living God. And I see it happen again and again and again. When we forsake the gathering together of believers, there is, there is this pattern of sinfulness that happens in our life. And, and that's why I'm so concerned about our current state. And, and, and this, this, even now, there's this, this not being together as we ought to be. And so we have to be on guard against that. Bonhoeffer says this, It is important for me to mourn the absence of the gathering. If Christians brush past this in pursuit of a more positive approach, as I want to do, we risk stripping the gathering of its necessity and purpose. Listen to what he says. We are meant to meet together so that we can hug. Not yet. It's coming. Eat, pray, laugh, sing, listen, cry, and more together with our family. Letting myself feel what is lacking has led to a deeper understanding of my need for the gathered church and my identity as a member of Christ's body. We need each other to encourage, to protect, to equip, to equip one another. I flip over to Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. This is what, how the Lord has put the church together. And he gave the apostles, that was the beginning, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Why is he giving all these teachers, shepherds, evangelists? Why, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're striving for, so that we may no longer be tossed, uh, sorry, no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We need one another to equip one another, to build up each other, so that we might know more and more of Christ, that we might mature in Him. When someone is left on their own, apart from the body of Christ, they do not mature at the same rate as if they were a part of the body of Christ. And so we have the equipping. And then we also have serving one another. Now turn over to Galatians, just a few pages earlier. Galatians 6, Galatians 6, 9 and 10. It says this, Do good, especially to the household of believers. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now we're, we are to continually be serving one another, uh, caring for one another. Our faith is one that is best served by this gathering together. When we are forced to be apart from one another, it was incredibly difficult to continue to feel that same fervency for the Lord, right? But as we gather together, we can get back to the things that God has called us to do. Sproul says this, The Christian life is a corporate thing. For Christ places his redeemed people in the church to learn together, to grow together, to serve together, and to worship together. We are an essential service. Being a part of the body of Christ, the family of God, is an incredible blessing where we strive together in our worship of the Lord. 
being devoted to one another, protecting and encouraging one another as we serve each other each day. Do you have a new appreciation for that today? I mean, the fact that it's a beautiful day outside on a long weekend would indicate to me that, yeah, you're pretty much on board here, right? Or else, you know, maybe somebody's getting free lunch or something afterwards, right? But, but, but for the most part, I would think you guys, you're here because you understand the importance of this. But I wanted to just take us through those verses to be reminded, this is what we do together. As you guys move into that new building, that will be the focus. Not the building, but this will be the focus. You praise God for the place where you can meet, but it has nothing to do with the building. It has everything to do with this, the people of God serving one another, encouraging one another. And as you do that really well, guess what happens? The outside world looks in and says, wait a minute, there's something different about those people. If you go back to Acts 2, 47, let me just read it for us. It says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In these crazy days, we have more opportunity for the gospel than ever before. We really do. And God is doing a work right now. Can I just encourage you with that? God is doing a work. I, I have been so encouraged this last five months to watch the way he's taking care of his people, whether it was like random employment or whatever the case might be, or this happened or that happened. God over and over again is taking care of his people, but he's also giving us opportunities for the gospel. I've heard of so many people being able to talk about the gospel because of this time. People get that our world's a little bonkers right now, don't they? They understand. And so what's happening in our church is the weirdest thing. If you've ever been there, it's a school out in a wheat field still, right? It's not like, oh, that beautiful church with the waterfall. Yeah, let's go check that place out. It's just, you know, it's a nice place. Let's go check. Like, that's not the story for us, okay? We don't have that. We got, we got a gymnasium in a place that most people don't even know exists. And there be, uh, there's, this last several weeks, there have been unbelievers coming to church, self-confessing. Not like, well, I don't know if they're really in the faith or not. Like, they're like, yeah, no, first time ever to church. I just felt like I should come. Well, it's available to everyone. Not everyone necessarily wants it, but, right? And, and, and can I just encourage you with that? That God is doing a work right now, right? And so let us not shrink back in this season, but let us go forward, right? All right, so we see, we see the, the last thing we need to see is this, the beauty of gathering. The beauty of gathering. Why Sunday? Do you guys ever think about that? Why do we do this on Sunday? How did it begin that the church would gather on Sunday? Well, we gather on Sunday because that is the day of the week that our Lord was resurrected. That's why we do it. Why did Christians choose that this would be the day that we would gather together? Because this is the day that our Lord was resurrected. And so one of the things that we proclaim every Sunday as we gather together is, our Lord is risen. Every Sunday, there's this beautiful thing that happens as we gather together. We reflect on the past, we think about the present, and we look forward to the future. Every Sunday, that's happening. And we gather around the gospel over and over again. Bonhoeffer says this, between the death of Christ and the last day, what's the last day? when Jesus returns. So between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by a gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship with other Christians. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands, and heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. And one of, the, one of the things that, I don't know if you guys have thought about this, but one of the things that I've thought about a lot going through this time is the privilege it is to get together, but also what our brothers and sisters around the world go through to get together. 
I mean, according to reports, China has taken it to a whole new level when it comes to persecuting the church right now. And so they gather, but they do it in quiet. They don't, they don't do it online. They're still finding a way to get together because of the sweetness it is. But they may not be screaming out the songs, right? There's wisdom and gathering as well in a quiet way so that they can continue to encourage one another, strengthen one another, and then go out and be bold witnesses for him. But there is a sweetness of this gathering as we proclaim our risen Lord and his soon return. Another thing that we do oftentimes in church is our baptisms. Why do we have baptisms? Well, they remind us of what has happened in a person's life, right? We don't get baptized to be saved. We get baptized to proclaim to everyone there that we are saved. And the picture, we have this beautiful picture in a baptism. We get to next Sunday, we're going to, at our, our church, we get a couple opportunities to see people baptized. And when we do that, we have this picture of the person going down into the water. What does that represent? It represents the death to self, the death of the old man, the death of Jesus Christ, which made it possible for the new life. And as they come up, it, it represents the new life in him. If, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away and new things have come. And so there's this beautiful picture, a physical reminder of what has happened in that person's life. And then we do baptisms in a church gathering. Why? Because we are then saying, this is a brother or sister in Christ. We will now care for them. We will now love on them. And, and we, will, we will spur one another on. And so there's this beautiful picture that we have in baptisms. There's also this beautiful picture that we have in the Lord's Supper. In just a few minutes, we're going to gather together to have the Lord's Supper. What is happening with the Lord's Supper? Do you sometimes repetition, we sometimes think, we forget to think about what's actually taking place through the Lord's Supper. First, note that it's a physical reminder of what Christ has done. You think maybe God thinks that we're forgetful? For sure he does. He knows us very well. So he wants to give us a physical reminder of what took place. God has, has, knows that, and he has shown that all through the Old Testament. You see these physical reminders that the Israelites had. They had um, the Passover, for example, which Jesus celebrated as he implemented the Lord's Supper. The Passover was to, rem to bring to remembrance the freedom from oppression and slavery and all that God had done to bring that about. There were specific elements that reminded them of how God had rescued them and how the angel of death had passed by their homes. In the Lord's Supper, we see similar themes. We too have been set free from slavery. We've been set free from our slavery to sin. The sentence of death is no longer upon us because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. We also partake of it together because of verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 17, 10, 17 that says this speaks of our unity that is displayed in partaking of the one bread. When partaking together, we remember what Christ has done for each of us as individuals, but we also praise God for the forgiveness of one another that God has uh, done so that we might be a part of the body of Christ. As we gather together, there's also the physical reminder of the spiritual reality that we are all one in him. Well, let's turn one last time. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. This is a scripture that um, is often used as we partake together of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord, this is Paul speaking, for I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Verse 23, we're reminded that on that night, when they partook of the Lord's Supper for the first time, it was the night when Jesus was betrayed. Someone that he had poured into for three years, who had seen Jesus' teaching, who had seen Jesus' miracles, who had seen that Jesus was perfect in every way, betrayed him for some money. On that night, also, these disciples that he had poured into turned their backs on him. It reminds us as we partake of communion that we are not without sin. We all have sinned against him. And without his forgiveness, we would all be lost. We would all receive our just sentence of eternal condemnation. But on that night when he was betrayed, Christ also took the bread. And in giving it to the disciples, he said that this bread represented his body. In the Passover, the bread reminded Israel of their hurried flight from Egypt. Now Jesus is saying that this bread represents a new exodus through the body of Christ. In the giving of his life, the enemies of Satan, sin, and death will be defeated. He laid down his life for repentant sinners. As we partake of the bread, we remember it was through, the, through Jesus' sacrifice that we have been set free and made alive in him. And we give eternal praise to the one who has redeemed us. And then he says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Through the shedding of Jesus' blood, a new covenant is formed. The old covenant required daily sacrifices, but Jesus' blood was shed once and for all. And through the new covenant, God has forgiven us and given us new hearts and minds and filled us with his spirit, fulfilling the promises found in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Our hope rests alone in the glorious work accomplished through Jesus Christ. Upon him we have put our hopes, and in him we have hope. Anyone who recognizes that they are a sinner, that they have sinned against a holy God, and is repentant, willing to turn away from that sin and place their trust in him, can be forgiven through him. It's an, none of us here deserve it, not one of us. But praise God, anyone who turns to him, he will forgive and make a part of his family. And then that last verse, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. The proclamation of Jesus' death points our hearts to remember where our hope lies. That in the death of Jesus Christ, he took my sins and your sins upon himself. And for all who confess their sins and repent and put their trust in him, they will be forgiven. Van Ness says this, what is proclaimed is good news, the gospel. The taking of the elements is the tangible proclamation of the forgiveness of sins. It is one of God's prescribed means of reminding his people that he's forgiven their sins. So as we partake, as we partake of those elements, we were reminded that we are forgiven. And so as we do that, we also examine our own hearts. Is there, un, is there sin that I'm not repentant of in my heart today? It should be an opportunity for us to say, God, please forgive me for that, and confess it, and then partake of the elements. If there is unconfessed sin in our lives, if there is unrepentance in our life, then we should allow the, the elements to pass before us. We should not partake of the elements. But we'll do this until when? When will we, when will we stop partaking of the Lord's Supper? When Christ returns. Matthew 26, 29 Jesus says this, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new within my Father's kingdom. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us his, his disciples that he is going to prepare a place for them. John 14, 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. And as we partake in this supper, we think about the supper that is to come. Revelation 19, 9, and the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Vickers says this, The constant interaction of past, present, and future is no more evident than in the Lord's Supper. The death and resurrection of Christ guarantees the future and transforms the present as believers are reminded through the interpreted symbols that their lives are not just an endless loop of days. 
The one who gave himself for his people abides with him and is coming again for them. In the supper, believers are called to step into the reality of future that invades the present. Christ is coming back. Maybe before the pandemic's over. We don't know when he's coming back. But he is coming back. I was just reading this last week in 1 Peter 1.13. He says in that verse, to set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And right now, if we're being honest, we're having to examine our hearts. Because I think some of us have been like, yeah, 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 like 60%, that's where I'm putting my hope. Like, I can't wait for his return, but like this other 40%, like I really want my life to be good again. I want my life to be normal again. I want to just kind of get back to that. And then like in 40 years when I'm like, you know, old and don't want to be here anymore, then come back. That would be a great time to come, Jesus. And... But he could come back today. And we need to be ready. And we need to set our hope fully on that day, on the grace that will be revealed to us when he comes. The church is a beautiful gift given to us from the Lord. I close with this quote from Gunderson. After all, our gatherings are ultimately a taste of heaven. The Bible's vision of heaven doesn't look like a quarantine, a live stream, or a Zoom call. It's a face-to-face encounter with the risen Christ and a worshipful reunion of both saints and angels. In the life to come, we won't be siloed and segregated in mansions of glory, but living and working and loving and serving together in a new world where righteousness dwells. Can't wait for that day. May it be today. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this time together this morning. We thank you for this beautiful thing, Lord, that you've created called the church. And Lord, we're asking that you would make us more and more like you through this gathering. That our love for you would be reflected in our love for one another. That as the world sees that love, that they would be drawn to you. That our words about your love would be seen in our actions towards one another. And God, I can't help but think this morning also of those people who, because of COVID, because of the restrictions that we currently have, who are unable to gather. God, would you encourage them today? Would you help us to be mindful of who those people are and, and whether it's sending words of encouragement or being able to just talk over a fence or whatever the case might be? God, help us to spur our brothers and sisters on. Lord, help us not to forsake this assembly, but Lord, use it for your glory, for your honor, as we enjoy this great gift you've given us. It's your name we pray. Amen.